love it. Keep on going. Come on. Hear the drums. Welcome to the Wouldn't It Be Nice podcast. This is episode four, and tonight we have a guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. I'm Drew Hall, Fernwood Farms Woodworking out of Chesapeake, Virginia. Awesome. So the Wouldn't It Be Nice podcast, here we are not experts, but we want to be. And this whole journey, this whole podcast journey we have tonight is all about Drew's story on how he was shaped into the woodworker and the business owner that he is today. And the conversation here is organic. We ask questions um, and we let the conversation flow. And we have fun doing it. Travis, we have Travis here, my co-host. I am here. Hi. You are here. And it's very, very nice to have you. It's always good to be here. I'm excited for this. I am too. This is our very first guest. Other than Travis and I, we've interviewed each other, but we've never had a guest on. So we're very, very excited, Drew, and honored that you would be our first guest. So thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. I think it's fantastic to to join the podcast. Thanks for the invitation. Um, I'm really excited to listen to this one when it comes out, and I'm really excited to hear episode five. Uh, because you guys will probably announce you're not going to do guests anymore uh, after this interview, <laughs> but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> You know what? I think you're right on the money there. I think you're absolutely right. This this has already been a terrible experience, and I'm already thinking about quitting the episode. So let's just get on with it before it goes too bad. <laughs> so, Drew, you you and I, I guess, have, have had kind of an informal relationship just over um, Instagram, really. I yeah, mean, we've never We've never actually talked um, like this before. It's only been back and forth. Um, so it's, it's nice to actually hear your voice and talk to you. It's, it's, it's diff- <laughs> quite different than the Instagram chat. So, um, I just wanted to kind of ask you an introductory question about your woodworking experience. So when okay. were you introduced? Um, well, I, first I was going to say about two years ago when I started building a hallway table for our house, but then I was listening to episode three and you brought up Pinewood Derby and, and making cars when you were young and it occurred uh-huh. to me. I love doing that, and I still have three of mine up in the attic in a in a container. So oh, no I guess way. back when I was probably seven or eight years old doing the Pinewood Derby with Boy Scouts. So yeah. quite a long time ago. Um, went obviously on a long hiatus for, you know, 20, 25 years or so. Um, mm-hmm. And like I think both of you mentioned, we bought a house a few years ago, and houses built in 1968 had never been updated at all. It was like stepping back in time. So my wife and I, no kids at the time. Just started going room to room and uh, fixing it up, doing renovations, and acquiring a whole lot of tools along the way. Yeah. Um, all that entry level tools that every homeowner needs. So down the road, you know, we had a we have a really awkwardly shaped hallway, and I wanted to build a table to go in there, just kind of fill out the space a little bit. So I found some plans online, um, 
website's Rogue Engineer. He has a lot of free plans available. Um, not necessarily mm-hmm. a plug, but he kind of he did kind of inspire me to get into it more. So um, kind of a neat idea out there. And I built, I think he calls it the double X brace trestle table or something like that, farmhouse console table. And I built one, got a lot of comments on it from fen- friends and family that liked it, uh, built a couple more mm-hmm. for friends and family, and then listed one on Marketplace. So the running joke is, you know, I built a table that my wife wanted this space filled with a table, and I think it took me the walnut console table that I posted um, probably two months ago now was the table that finally filled that void, like almost two years into my woodworking journey. So <laughs> I started off to fill to fill this space, and I kept putting tables there, and then those tables would sell, and it would sit empty again for a while. <laughs> so that's kind of what got me into everything. That's cool. So wow, only two years ago, huh? Yeah, just about. Not too long. I mean, like I said, home improvement before that. So got some uh, big box store red oak and uh, did a couple banisters in our house. Um, just simple mm-hmm. stuff like that, but nothing you'd really consider fine woodworking, you know, up to that point. Um, I'm still active duty Navy. So when everyone kind of locked down at the beginning of the pandemic, I, the position I'm in right now at, at the job I'm in um, we're not very mission critical, and so to speak. So they pretty much told us to go home and keep your phone on you. So I had a lot of time to kill, and um, it sounds like both of you, I, I can't just sit around and do nothing. So I uh, start, started getting a lot more <laughs> home improvement projects done, fenced in the backyard, uh, fixed up, put new lattice around our carport, finally hung. Um, I don't know if you have any experience with that air, air stone, like the fake fireplace. We, I did a fireplace with that like fake glass made stone, you know, just a lot of stuff that was on the, the honeydew list that never got done. I was like, Hey, mm-hmm. I got the time to do it. Let's knock it out. Um, once I got through all that, my wife got into animal crossing. That was pretty popular at the time, you know, on the, uh, oh, yeah. was it the switch? Uh-huh. So I kind of got into to, that too. I used to play it on the GameCube back in the day. Is it, the, is it that old of a game? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, circa 2005 or six, maybe. Oh wow! I had never heard of it until the the switch. Oh okay. But anyway, but continue. Of, <laughs> yeah, just just a little bit of a rabbit hole. But what, part of what got me motivated was, um, you know, you get on there and you make different stuff. You collect the resources and craft materials. And I was sitting there one night again, not liking to, liking to sit around and be bored and do nothing. Like, why am I wasting my time on this game? that's accomplishing nothing. I could be like out making something in my shop. So it got me out there more. Um, and yeah, that's kind of haven't left the shop since. Basically, been making. So you do it as a full time thing? No, I'm I'm still in the Navy. Um, just nights and weekends when I can. Obviously, family comes first. Spending time with the kids as much as I can, but they go to bed at like seven or so. So, um, okay. you know, most most evenings are with the wife. She goes to bed earlier than I do too, and I'll head out to the shop for forty five minutes, get something done. Um, nap times on the weekends I had out there, but, uh, yeah, just trying to do it as much as I can. I've, I basically have six years left in the Navy until I'm eligible to retire. So that's kind of like my goal projecting out to, to make this a viable full-time career for myself within that time period and be able to, uh, stand on my own as a business owner and, and woodworker at that point. Hmm. So So you said Chesapeake, right? Yes. Okay. 
I mean, that's got to be a pretty solid market, huh? So it's a solid market, but there's a ton of people around here that are doing what we do. So it's also sure. a saturated market um, with such a, I mean, with so much Navy around here and, you know, Langley Air Force Base up the road. Like, there's a lot of people in the military that want to get out and work with their hands. And you have a ton of veterans that retire in the area and do what I'm trying to do, essentially. So do there, you, there's a market for it, but... Do you find that certain areas are saturated? Like, are you able to specialize a little bit more to kind of beat that saturation, so to speak? So that's one of my biggest challenges in this business is, you know, which direction I want to take as far as is my main uh, aim going to be fine furniture? Is it going to be, you know, more craft-oriented stuff? I did get into crafts for a while, but... uh, Fine furniture is really where my passion is. I think Dylan said the same thing uh, last pod, last episode. But the issue is trying to break into that fine furniture market. You know, I'm, right. I'm to the point where I'm hand cutting dovetails for drawers and I'm chiseling mortises for mortise and tenon joints and everything, and it, trying to find those people that appreciate that level of craftsmanship and also have the money to purchase those things is obviously a business challenge. So, trying to market and find that audience is you know, never easy. Right. I poked through some of your Instagram and I will go down several hour long rabbit holes of watching joinery. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with dusty lumber company. That's another one that I could just watch for hours. Yes. Just, I, I don't know. It's so fun. <laughs> he does a lot of cool stuff. The, the castle joints and things that he cuts in those giant timbers, they're impressive. And the man's skilled with a radial arm saw. Right. What made you just say, like, hey, I'm just going to do some hand joinery? Was there a specific project or just felt like trying it? So the trestle tables I talked about making that kind of kicked me off, I sold a ton of those on Marketplace because the, the people that are looking for furniture on Marketplace are willing to spend a reasonable amount for a product like that built from construction lumber. Mm-hmm. So I was pricing those. I started around 120 and kind of as I progressed and I mean, I was, I had like six orders out. I couldn't keep up because I got to where I was batching them out. It would take me like three hours to turn around a table. So I realized, you know, if the demand is so high and my time is, you know, I only have so much time. I was like, I'm going to raise the price a little bit to cut back on the demand. Um, and when I did that, I completely lost my train of thought. Um, Oh, when I did that, so I got into this groove of, you know, I got really good at making that one thing, but it's a hobby. It's something to be fun. It's fun. I'm not on a manufacturing floor doing this. And that's kind of what my, my garage turned into was this production line. Mm-hmm. So I was like, if I, if I keep buying two by threes and two by sixes at the big box store and coming home and, you know, screwing them into a piece of furniture, I'm not growing as a woodworker. I'm not learning anything and I'm not progressing. So not knocking anyone that that's their main focus. If that's what you enjoy, you know, I'm all about it. It, It's a hobby for a lot of people. And I, you know, business focused podcast, even if you can make a business out of that, if that's what you enjoy making and you can make a profit doing it, go for it. But to me, you know, at at that stage and really at the stage I'm at still, um, I wanted to continue to grow and get better and, and improve. And, um, Recently wrote a book about, you know, James Kronov is a well-known furniture maker from, you know, the early 1900s. I think he only passed away like 10, 15 years ago, something like that. Um, 
but just the attention to detail he put into his work and you can't do that with two by four studs, you know, you got to get past that and, and just keep moving on. So I guess what got me into hand cut joinery is just, just try it. You know, I see other people doing it like it's a handsaw, a chisel, a coping saw, and you know, some basic layout tools. So I would say anyone that hasn't tried hand cutting dovetails or chopping their own mortises or anything like that, just go do it. Like it's, it seems intimidating watch a couple videos, watch some other people do it, and then go try it. Your first one's going to look like crap. The second one's going to be like, oh, this isn't as bad as the first one. You do a couple, and it's like, these these look pretty decent. So that would what be one of, piece of uh, advice I have people. What kind of layout tools are you using for dovetails and stuff like that? So for my first practice dove, dovetails, which I, you know, I took an hour on a rainy day. I grabbed a couple pieces of scrap wood and a pencil, um, and I literally just drew a couple slanted lines for the for the tails. And then once you cut your tails, you know your your pins are based on how your tails are. Um, so didn't really use any layout tools at that point. Mm-hmm. I had a, I think I had a marking gauge so I could control the depth of how, you know, deep I was going down into the board. Um, since then I've worked a little bit with bridge city and Harvey industries. So mm, yeah. I, uh, one of the tools I talked to them about, you know, that I would really enjoy using was their, um, drawing a blank on what it's called right now, but they have a small like pocket layout tool that has your six to one ratio and your eight to one ratio that flips mm. out and a bevel gauge all built into it. So I use that for all mine now. I mean, yeah. there's other people that make them, but their stuff's just pretty. So that they, <laughs> that's they what do I've been some, using for all that. It makes some really pretty like hand planes and just like everything oh, they do mm-hmm. is it's like yeah. art. It's, it's a piece it, of, yeah. it's a sculpture that functions as yeah. a tool. So going exactly. down this topic, would you say that you prefer hand tools to power tools in some cases i think there are some operations that are better or easily done more easily done with hand tools than power tools for instance Hmm. about six months ago i got a benchtop grizzly hollow chisel mortiser so -hmm. with my walnut console table i use that for almost every mortise i cut on that and it was quite a few with the spindles at the end of the table um, however, on my next project, I, tr- or I had to cut some of the ones in the, the longer skirts by hand cause they, I just didn't have the clearance in the mortiser. So I cut some of my hand, kind of enjoyed it. Uh, I ended up getting myself a brass mallet from, um, Lee Valley. I think they have them. Narek sells basically the same thing, you know, brass mallet to hit the chisels a little bit better. And hmm. I found it was almost quicker than using the power tool because the time you spend laying out the power tool and making sure it's set up correctly, you could have already had one of the mortises cut. So yeah. this last, the last two projects I've done, I think the first one had like 18 mortises in it. And the table I just, I'm working on right now had 12 and I just cut them all by hand mm-hmm. and it took me oh, wow. two out two hours or so to do all those. Mm. So there's just some things I think are easier to do by hand. Um, now, like cutting the tenons, I still go to the table saw, put a dado stack in, and cut my tenons that way because I mm-hmm. again find that more easier and precise. But I think yeah. it's about finding a balance between what you use. 
The thing that turns me off from using like more chisels and hand tools is having to sharpen them. I, I just hate that idea of having to do that. So do you sharpen your own chisels and other hand planes and stuff? So hand saws, no, because I use the Japanese pole saws because that's, you know, mm. what all the cool kids do on Instagram. And uh, <laughs> you get the, you just get the replacement blades. They're like next to nothing to just replace the blade. And like the Japanese pole saws, from everything I've heard, they're, they're made, they're designed to just replace the blade uh, mm. before you sharpen them. So I just do that with the hand saws, um, and I do use the hand saws for some things, especially flush cutting. You know, if you're going to do, like, a dowel to fill a hole, they're just easier to grab and cut off real quick, in my opinion. Yeah. With chisels and hand planes, it doesn't – it's just like joinery. Like, you try it, you watch a couple of videos, see other people do it, and it's not that hard to get a pretty good edge. And I'm by no means, like, a, a expert sharpener, but I can get mm-hmm. it good enough that it's cutting just fine. So I do sharpen all my own for those. Nice. That's, that's cool. Do you have a, like, what do you use to sharpen it? So I have a couple, uh, like wet stones that I was using for a while. I think I got like a really cheap set just for like sharpening pocket knives from time to time. And I tried those Mm -hmm. at first. Um, and just listening to other people and picking up advice other places, I ended up getting a diamond stone and I think I just got, I only have one. It's I think it's the fine grit from DMT, whatever Woodcraft carries. Um, mm-hmm. I picked one of those up one day, and because out of the box, like you could spend a lot of time honing a chisel and getting it just flawless. And mm-hmm. like I said, I'm no expert, but I can get it just with that one diamond stone. I can get it good enough to do everything I need to do. And again, like I'm cutting mortises pretty quickly and pretty accurately, so. I must be doing it right enough, you know. <laughs> I'm sure I'll, yeah. I'll expand how many grits I have of diamond stones down the road, but it's working for me, so, you know, why change what's yeah. working at this point? Yeah, and we're not experts, but we want to be. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? It, w- it sure would be. <laughs> good, good plug, good plug. <laughs> um, so I, I missed a little chunk of the conversation, so I wasn't yeah. sure where you guys went. but We'll um, catch you up real quick. Um, I essentially just kind of asked about, like, market um, opportunities in their market. He said it's a little saturated. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can kind of refill him in back a little bit. But Yeah, so I was just talking about how it's a little was, tough. Yeah, there's just so many people around here doing – you know, woodworking, trying to, to make a go of this. Um, and I think part of it too is, you know, so many people being home, being laid off, losing jobs or whatever the last couple of years, a lot of people have turned to hobbies and, Hey, I can make these and sell them on marketplace, Etsy, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of, I don't want to say it's a problem because if people are finding what they love that you can never call that a problem. Um, Travis, I think you mentioned, uh, in episode two, I think it was, you know, that you two are technically in competition with each other, but you don't view it that way. Mm-hmm. And I kind of mm-hmm. don't view it that way either. I think it's all about, you know, carving out your own niche and just trying to find what you're good at and what, what is your brand? Like, what are you going to be known for? So, right. um, I was telling Travis that, you know, I was making a ton of those initial, uh, trestle, not trestle tables, uh, double X console tables you know i was batching Mm -hmm. those out i was getting them i got it down to three hours per table but sold a ton on marketplace but 
I wasn't I wasn't growing. It was boring. It was like working in a factory to me, and mm-hmm. that's not what I yeah. wanted to do. So I completely get that. I'm the type of another rabbit yeah. hole. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. That's what this place is for. I completely get that. Like feeling like a factory and like just getting bored of it. Like mm-hmm. there's been times where I'm pumping out the same thing over and over, and I just just like I'd have no motivation to go to the garage or the shop just because I'm like. I just have to do the same thing over and over again. I want some excitement. I want some stimulation. Like, I want to learn something. So I, I totally, totally get that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think there's value in if you have a small, I call it craft size projects, any, cutting boards, charcuterie boards, serving trays, you know, the valet trays, any of that, that size stuff that you can pick up and hold in your hand. I think there's value if you have a unique design and you can batch them out mm-hmm. and you can yeah. – have a steady stream of those going out. To me, that's like one revenue stream. If you can have yeah. a bunch of those on the shelf ready to go out whenever someone orders, I think there's value mm-hmm. in that. But I think to to get yourself in in a rut of doing just that can be dangerous. So I'm going to piggyback off of that for two seconds. Um, so like my folks own a retail store, and mm-hmm. they're going to let me set up, you know, a little corner shelf mm-hmm. for that type of product. You know, cutting yeah. boards or coasters or whatever. And all I'm really trying to do there is essentially capitalize on scraps. Yeah, totally. you know, glue together a chunk of oak and a chunk of walnut, make it into Heck a set yeah. of coasters, and you know, try to make a few extra bucks off of what would most people I think would just pitch. Right, throw it in the burn pile. Um, I do that with my bottle openers. I I try to keep all the small stuff that's even like like two two by inches or two by four inches or three by four i'll keep that and i'll just turn it into a bottle opener because mm-hmm. like i have such a hard time throwing wood out mm-hmm. and i know that i should but in the back of my head i'm always like if i can make something out of this and make money off of it then i'm gonna keep it right and now i have just like this huge box <laughs> right full of that crap then i'm like now that you guys are launching you know if you're focused <laughs> more on your socials now i will say one perfect thing to do with scrap walnut is make a reel of throwing it in the fire because you will make a lot of people mad and they will all comment and that video will do well. And you'll get a lot of engagement. It doesn't matter how small it is. I could have made this or that out of it. I'm sure you could have. (laughs) I remember when I did, you did that and I even commented. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, what are you doing? (laughs) This beautiful piece of black walnut, like you could make a cutting board, like anything. But it, I did make something out of it. I made content. You made, you made fire. <laughs> right. You made warmth. Warmth and for five and, minutes. And I made s'mores that day. So. Oh, okay. Well, you had me at s'mores. So a walnut s'more. I would. Mmm. <laughs> a wa- walnut smoke s'more. I would burn down my garage just to have s'mores. Unpopular opinion. There's easier ways. You can, but there's easier ways. <laughs> there's a Casey's right up the road that sells bundles of wood. And just maybe pop it in there instead. Well, yeah. So I will say, I, I'm in the same mentality Insurance. you are with scraps now. Um, I went through a phase last fall where, I, you know, I was back. we were back in the office more, so I didn't have as much time at home on call. And uh, I got to where I was making a lot of the the craft stuff and i was actually going out buying hardwood and then chopping it up for cutting boards which Mm -hmm. in hindsight like there's plenty of people that do that but in hindsight like you're right save the scraps for that kind of stuff and you can have like i just i cut up a bunch of ash a couple weeks ago and i have kind of a cutting board blank sitting on top of my planer ready to go through 
mm-hmm. because I have family and friends that will be like, hey, I need a quick cutting board for a gift or whatever, and it's great to have on hand. But I won't ever buy – I don't think I'll ever buy wood for the specific purpose of something like that again. Right, right. There is – I've plugged them before. There's an incredible um, store here in Cedar Rapids, eastern Iowa, called Not Just Lumber, K-N-O-T, mm-hmm. Not Just Lumber. It's an incredible place. And I wandered around there today, and they mill everything down themselves. And in the back corner, they have an entire section of just cutoffs, like, you know, two inch wide by three foot long or whatever. And they'll sell them for like a dollar. And (laughs) it's maximizing their profit, but that's adding value, you know, to somebody else who wants to do that scope of project. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we just had a uh, we just had a shop. I'll plug them. Norfolk Wood Shop just opened up here, about thirty minutes away from me, um, and they're in kind of downtown area of a, you know Norfolk's kind of a bigger city around here, and mm-hmm. uh, so you get a lot of people in apartments or you know smaller ho- you know city houses, townhouses, and stuff. Right. And they say they get a lot of turners coming through there looking for for that kind of stuff. Sure. So a lot of the scraps, instead of burning them, you know, I kind of joke about burning my scraps. I really don't burn stuff until it's, like, way too small to use for pretty much anything. <laughs> or but, in the way. <laughs> um, or, <laughs> but I, I end up I, – I was – I had my calipers out there, and anything that was three-quarters or thicker, I was setting aside, and I brought it back in the table saw and cut it all up into pen blanks and took it up sure. to that shop and, you know, gave it to them for – you know, pennies on the dollar and they turned around and they're getting it back to these people. They're going to make pen blanks or make pens out of those blanks with them. So I took some Oak and I think I had Oak walnut and cherry that I was able to drop off. So even those little three quarter by three quarter by five inch scraps, you know, turn back around and it's not like I'm making a ton of money doing that, but at least that wood is, you know, going to someone who's going to make something with it, which sure gives me the warm and fuzzies. How much did you, uh, did you sell these pen blanks? I did. I um, so, yeah, so I had them – actually, I had them listed originally. I had like 43 blanks I think is what it came out to. I just cut whatever I had and I put it on Marketplace. I kind of got online to see what the going rate for that kind of thing was and I priced it just below that. They weren't selling. Um, so I talked to them because when I was in their store, I noticed they had some. So I think the second time I had to renew the listing on Marketplace, I, I messaged them. I was like, hey, I have these like – are you moving them? Cause if you are like, you can have them for, you know, way less than I have them listed for just, just to get them out of here. I'll bring them next time I come up. Cause again, like I'd rather get them in the hands of another maker than make an extra $5 by holding out for the right person to find the listing, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I didn't, it's, I, I don't know that I lost money on the board footage of it all, but you know, I'm, I certainly wouldn't be a profit making venture you know certainly not a revenue stream for me to make pen blanks out of scraps mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. keeps them out of the trash can and that's to me that's right the <laughs> or the fire right but you weren't able to cook s'mores so you know was it really worth it yes well so when i cut them down <laughs> into three quarter by three quarter strips though i still had cutoffs from that you know so oh we're, sweet we're so you we still, still got s'mores oh okay. <laughs> still got okay good good that's all that matters really yeah we're good what initially made you want to turn woodworking into a business? So the biggest catalyst for all this, and by no means do I have a booming business. Like I said, this is 
still a hobby that's making me money at this point. But what mm-hmm. what made me register as a business and go through that process is my social media expanding. Um, mm-hmm. My Instagram kind of just went haywire all of a sudden and I had all these followers and logos and hats and shirts and stickers and it occurred to me one day I don't own that logo I don't own my brand if someone else Mm -hmm. registered Fernwood Farms Woodworking tomorrow it would just be gone and at that point like I'm certainly not a public figure level account but I had enough of a brand at that point that I didn't want to lose that so that's when I started looking into LLCs and S corps and um, mm-hmm. do business as names and all that stuff just to essentially protect that first and foremost. Um, that That's kind of the main thing. Um, it also kind of stepped up the level of seriousness. Um, you know, I, we had some income coming from the woodworking and my wife still kind of, you know, go do your hobby. It's because she was happy about it being effectively a free hobby that, you know, I think you yeah. said self-sustaining hobby. There you um, go, yeah. and, and that's what it was. But once we registered as a business, you know, there's more of a level of seriousness and dedication to it that you want to put into it because then it's kind of like, uh, you know, back to talking about kids, it's, it's kind of like you have your child there now. You got to nourish this separate entity and make sure it's doing okay. Um, mm-hmm. So that really made me start thinking more maturely, I guess, about the whole thing. Um, you know, going away from cash transactions on marketplace to, you know, actually marketing products and, and being a serious entity, I guess. Mm -hmm. So that's what, but that's really the, the name and all that is what drove me into that. And, um, we're actually still in the process and I wasn't aware of this. So you can tell how new all this is. Um, my accountant had mentioned, you know, if, once you get your, a letter from the city to renew some uh, licensing with the city form, you know, something they send out every year. She's like, you know, just send it over to us. We'll get it taken care of. And I was like, um, I haven't gotten mine yet. Should I have one by now? And then they, <laughs> their firm reached back out and said, did you register your business with the city? So we're kind of backtracking through that process now. Um, <laughs> oh, no. It's a bit of a headache. But did you we, register we incorporated with some guy out of his garage? Like, did you, did you go to the right yeah. people? <laughs> yeah, he said it was legit. I figured it was fine. Um, no, so I went through an accounting firm who had you know lawyers that they work with to set everything up through the state, mm-hmm. and I naively assumed that all right, they've got all my paperwork bases covered, not realizing that I also had some legwork to do. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, we incorporated, I think our date was like November 30th of last year. So we're still a pretty new entity as far as like legality goes. So I don't know if there's yeah. a, a window of time where you have some leeway, but I assume we're still in it or I hope we're still in it, I suppose. Um, yeah. It makes you wonder like with the year, the, does it change at the year mark? Like, I mean, I know nothing about this, so I'm right. just, I'm genuinely just and curious it's new to about me too. the whole thing. Yeah. And I'm kind of learning a lot, you know, during tax season right now with what all paperwork I need. And of course, I asked the accountant a ton of questions. We started working with her. What what is and is not a write off and all those basic questions. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm still working my way through learning just like you guys are, just like we all are. You know, probably most people listening Mm -hmm. trying to figure out, figure their way in this world. Yeah. I think I filed for the first time. 
I think end of 2020 is when my LLC was born. And I never, I would have been in your shoes. Like I never would have thought of that. But mm-hmm. one of my lifelong friends was getting ready to start his own, um, I don't know, tech software engineering service. And he's like, Hey, for your construction company or, you know, who are you registering your LLC through? I was like, what <laughs> do I have to? <laughs> Well, then come to find out that I had to have an LLC to register for my contractor's license. Oh, mm-hmm. I see. So there's actually um, there's a college. It's Northwestern College where their law students will do that service, like, less expensive. Mm, yeah. So I think the first year it was, like, 200 bucks, and then... I think I have to re-up every year, and then I think it's like a hundred and twenty something, or or whatever it may be. I was about to let that go because um, I just took a different full time job, and I was like, "Ah, eh, mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm just gonna let it expire." But then I was like, "Well, if I you know get into this woodworking, you know, kind of mm-hmm. track at least part time, mm-hmm. you know, then I can at least hold my name like you were talking about earlier. You know, if someone could just exactly. come along and say, "No, I'm Fernwood Farms now." Mm-hmm. I wonder how that works if your name, because I mean, I transparency. I don't have an LLC. You know, I'm not. I'm not. You know, trademarked. It's my last name. So I wonder what the what even. So if know, you are not trademarked or LLC, I know in the state of Virginia, and this is by no means legal or financial advice in any way. Right. Um, <laughs> but in, in Virginia, my understanding was if you are doing business under your own name as your business name, you are automatically like you own that name. Cause it's, I mean, it's your name. You were born with your name. Right. So your but name, if you tag, if you tag along another word though, for me, Fawcett Woodcraft, do I, yeah, I, think I mean, fine. I don't have really, yep. I'll have to look In into Virginia. the Iowa's, I'll have yeah. to look into mm. Iowa's laws on that. Iowa's cause I pretty chill. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. Iowa is pretty chill. Well, um, so yeah. Not very chill. <laughs> I yeah, I need to add third stall projects as a DBA. That way, what, that's what protected. Is, what does DBA mean? Doing business as it, I could essentially add it. So then, because like my LLC is called Granberg Enterprises. Hmm. So then, technically on paper, it would be Granberg Enterprises DBA doing business as oh, third stall projects. Third stall. Nice. How? What does that cost to do to add the DBA? To nah, I don't know. You know yeah. There's more research that needs to be done. It's not a lot if you're a serious business, but it's significant money if you're a small-time craftsman. <laughs> right. It seems like all yeah. this stuff just adds up real quick unless you have like really, quite a bit of revenue coming in. It really does. And I, I've looked into doing the LLC and just even just trademarking my name, and it's it's that number is intimidating to me because I'm like, I don't have the budget for that. Like mm-hmm. I want to, I need to buy sandpaper and glue and like, I, it's either that or that. And I'm like, well, I can make money off of buying sandpaper and glue. I can't really make money off of my, having my name trademarked. So, right. I mean, right now I get in the long run, it's going to be much better and it save me hassle and whatever, but well, we'll get there. Yeah. I'm going to shift real quick. Um, you mentioned earlier that you really started accruing a lot of stuff when you bought your 1960s home. Mm-hmm. When did you go from homeowner's kit to, you know, starting to accrue all of the different stuff? Mm. And, you know, are you like a 
a brand loyal type of person or just kind of, you know, hey, that looks pretty on the shelf? Homeowner special, Ryobi. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, I still use, I still have a lot of the Ryobi stuff and mm-hmm. I have upgraded from some of it. Um, <clears throat> my first big tool purchase that I had something Ryobi and went away from it was Orbital Sander. You know, you get the mm. vibrating hands after you're done sanding for a while, and I got tired of that. So that was my first, and to this point, only Festool purchase. Um, mm. I don't think it's worth spending Festool or similar money on a lot of tools, but I think certain things, like if you're sanding a lot with your Orbital Sander, that's the kind of thing I think it's worth spending the extra money and having something that's smooth, collects all the dust, mm-hmm. and, you know, is that quality. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, a drill... Until my Ryobi drill burns up, I cannot see spending six to seven times that on something like the Festool. Because I could keep going out. I I mean, I bought that drill now eight years ago. And eight years ago is before Mm. I knew what an impact driver was. So I was driving screws Mm. with that, drilling holes with that, like things you probably shouldn't do with that. And it's still running like a champ. I was drilling a ton of pocket holes early on when I was building all those tables because that was all pocket hole joinery, if you want to call it that. And that thing has, it's still running fine. So I think with a lot of tools, it's not worth upgrading until you are at a point where you see the benefit and it makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. Um, You guys mentioned, you guys mentioned getting used tools before. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea if you're handy. My problem with used tools, because my my buddy and I guess mentor at work that he just retired from the air force. Um, he was always finding these marketplace deals, sending them to me like, Hey, get this table saw, get this bandsaw. And I'm like, I, if there's one thing wrong, I don't know how, nor do I want to learn how to troubleshoot it. Like I, there's no doubt it's a great deal, but that's not in my wheelhouse. So Mm -hmm. for me, like I, I saved up and, and got a, what I think is a decent table saw. Um, just recently got a bandsaw. So I, I think used tools are fantastic if you're willing to deal with everything that comes with a used tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so to go back to my brand loyalty question, I, I, I kind of joke about Ryobi. I think buying the most entry-level thing you can for certain tools is great for most of us. Mm-hmm. But until you get some experience under your belt and know what you're doing and know kind of what path you're going to go down with this, you know, if you're, if you're going to make cutting boards and that's all you're ever going to make – get the best tools you get get a fantastic you know wide belt sander get you know um get the best planer you can get a really nice table saw a jointer to get those clean seams in them but Mm -hmm. if you're not doing those specific things don't go out and spend a ton of money on those tools you're going to touch once a month you know Mm -hmm. that's that's where i'm at with tool purchases yeah that's the tricky part about about you know making this a, a you know running a business woodworking is you want the fancy tools but you really have to think about do i really need these tools or can i get away with using like my jointer sled instead of a jointer mm-hmm. um, and a jointer sled's a heck of a lot cheaper than buying a jointer would be i guess you can get some good again going mm-hmm. back to use tools and you'd always get good deals but is it even worth it spending 50 bucks on something where you can literally save the 50 bucks and just use a tool that you have, even if it's not like the most efficient, but it gets the job done. Right. You don't necessarily need the tool, but then it also comes back to efficiency. Like 
Is, mm-hmm. it, is the efficiency of buying that tool going to be worth it in the long run? And if you're going to keep using it, then, yeah, probably. It's probably worth it. Mm-hmm. I fought that battle. I, om- I Oh, I almost pull- pulled the trigger on a track saw. I, oh, there was a Makita calling my just, name. Just recently? Oh, probably a year ago. Oh, okay. I wanted it so bad. Mm-hmm. And then I found a Craig 8-foot straight-cut jig. And oh, yeah. $500 cheaper. And you hook it right Same up quality to your, of cut. You hook it right up to your circular saw, and it works just as good. Yep. The only thing, it, it takes a minute longer because you have to offset the jig by the distance from the plate mm-hmm. of your saw and the, mm. the edge of the carbide tip. So, like, on the DeWalt, mm. that's four inches. So you make your mark, back it off four inches, and then mm. that's, it's good to go. That's, like, but, what you need to do, really, if you have a... Uh, just a circular saw anyway. I mean, mm-hmm. I always just use, like, a scrap piece of wood that is mostly straight right. as, a, as a track saw. Right. Well, I got really fancy, and I got myself an 8-foot yeah. level to use as a track saw mm. with my circular saw. So I can That's do the better than a scrap. if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should do that. That's a good idea because it's better and more accurate than a, a piece of cherry would be, and that's normally what I use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what really pushed me over the edge to get the level of all things um, – is I saw some people uh, clamping it to their table saw fence, which gives mm. you a much longer reference surface. And right. like, I don't current, I don't own a joiner right now. I had a benchtop joiner. I sold it like a month ago because those benchtop joiners, if you're doing anything over you know two three feet, they're not good enough. They just aren't. So it's gonna have a big rainbow right yeah, in it. You're just gonna make a big bow. That's that's what I fought. <laughs> and there's a it's a it's a it's another one of those things you put it on social media and people will tell you you're a fool and then the other half of people will go, oh, that's a great idea. But you clamp that mm-hmm. long level to your fence and you have a longer reference surface, you can effectively get a jointed edge with the right blade, the right saw, and that level on your fence. And yeah. that's basically my jointer. That's what I use for jointing edges for, for tabletops and stuff. Mm-hmm. It works fantastic. I like using – I have the dovetail clamps by a micro jig. And mm-hmm. you, you create a just a, a I have a big piece of like um, just uh, what, just plywood that I put some slots in and then I yep. run it. I mean it works so well. And you can you can cut tapers on legs. You can you can do your your joint. You get one nice jointed edge, and then you put it on your table saw and you're able to get another nice edge. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so cheap. I think the clamps are like less than fifty bucks. And you have to buy your your board for it, but I, that was just a scrap in my my garage that I used. So, yeah, those I, I are on my short for, list for tools that I want is to get those clamps and, and make they're that. They're so nice. They're very nice. It's it's a game changer. I mean, it's yeah. They're I, I want to get a bunch and just use that primarily for mm-hmm. just using on my bench top for anything I need a whole still or glue or they're great. Yeah. So, I can I can get behind Ryobi though. Yeah, I like that. I'm kind of regretful that I didn't go to the Ryobi route to begin with. Mm-hmm. I just went right with Dewalt because that's the brand that I knew was good, and I yep. I bought that with my wedding money, and um, I stuck with it because I'm like I don't want to switch from this platform. But now I'm kind of wishing I went with Ryobi. Yep, save save some money, maybe have probably more tools. And Drew, you probably you might know this too, but so Ryobi. And Rigid and Milwaukee are actually all under the TTI umbrella. Mm. Yep. So the rumor 
is that, you know, Ryobi, and I, this is not an official statement. I'm not making a statement on behalf of TTI, but what I have heard is that they have used the Ryobi brand to workshop what tools will sell well because they're at a lower price point. Yeah. So if you remember, like, when the oscillating cutoff tools kind of started coming out a little bit, you know, DeWalt had one. But I saw a Ryobi one out there before I did, you know, a really, really high-quality Milwaukee one. Mm. That makes sense. It does make sense. You look at the build of those tools, too, and they look very, very similar. Yeah. On some of them. Mm -hmm. Like, the only difference is the color of plastic. Yep. The one that gets me is the benchtop planers. If you look across, well, and the joiners too, really, you can look across like 20 different brands and go, those all came off the same factory. Like, oh, yeah, for mm-hmm. GTI or otherwise, they're out. I swear right. they're all outsourcing to, to one company somewhere that is making mm-hmm. them all and just painting them a different color. Yep. Yeah. Like I have um, a oscillator, or a, yeah, spindle sander. And mm-hmm. it is the same exact. It's a Grizzly, and I paid two hundred bucks for it, and I even bought it on sale. And um, it's like you look at the Wen version, and Wen's like very reasonably mm-hmm. priced. It's the same exact sander. The only difference you is might have that. a little bit different motor or something like that, but yeah, otherwise it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, and I I wonder maybe they do add some higher quality parts to it or something, but mm-hmm. the 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 build itself and the the maybe the tabletop and everything else look exactly the same. Right. <clears throat> I could talk tools all day. Oh, all day. Oh yeah. I think we so, all. I, so, um, but for the sake of our podcast length, let's um, <laughs> ask some more uh, applicable questions. Um, so what is going kind of back to the business side of things? What is one of your regrets with, with your business? Um, and that, that's a pretty open-ended question. You can take that wherever you want to. Um, I don't have a lot of regrets. I mean, I think I stuck in, in the rut of making the same thing for a little bit too long, but at the same time they were selling. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I kind of got a little bit more knowledge about how to work with customers through that. Even if I wasn't gaining Mm -hmm. any more woodworking experience or knowledge or techniques. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, no regrets at this point, honestly. Um, no regrets. No regrets. <laughs> Not even a single that letter. Tattoo. Nope. <laughs> That's my credo. <laughs> Deviating my septum, no, I mean, dog. I, I will say because I know you were talking about how you know you're kind of your TikTok started to take off now. I did not really pay attention to TikTok early. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had spent more time specifically for TikTok and Facebook and catered to those different demographics because Mm -hmm. they are different demographics. For sure. I tend to post the same thing between those three platforms. Um, Lately, I've been trying to kind of switch it up a little bit. So it might be the same content, but edited in a way that will be more appealing to the people that are seeing it on those different platforms. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think learning that earlier on would have been beneficial. Because you got to think, like, Facebook um, – no offense, Travis. I know that's where you're mostly at right now. Um, <laughs> Facebook is probably best for what you were doing construction-wise because you're going, to, you're going to get more clients from Facebook doing what you're doing. But mm-hmm. from a content perspective, Facebook's where I get all the old curmudgeons that will see something I'm doing and tell me they didn't learn it that way in shop class in right. the 50s and that oh, I yeah. must be doing it wrong. 
Yep. <laughs> so you have to cater to that older demographic that's still on Facebook. Instagram is kind of, I would say, more our generation, so to speak. It's, you know, younger people. Um, it's, it's more popular. It's what a lot of the um, companies that want to advertise through content creators, their main focus seems to be Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and TikTok, like if if the first two seconds of your TikTok is not grabbing someone's attention, it's not going to go anywhere. It, it's difficult to capture the people on TikTok's attention uh, for very long. Um, yeah. The one you had blow up, you said it was a it was like a how to, right? Like how to do something that you thought was pretty simple. Yeah, I mean, it was. Have you seen that video of me making a spline without a spline specific jig? Have you? I'm gonna let you in on my secret. Most of the time, I hop on the platform post and I run. I oh, got yeah, into a rut dude, of. I don't blame you, man. I, yeah, if you get in the rut of posting and and hanging out and scrolling, like you will lose a day. Oh yeah, and I, I got mm-hmm. bad for a while. Um, yeah, I even have my phone set now. <clears throat> You know, uh, from the time that everyone gets, I get home before my wife and brings the kids home. Um, from the time they get home till the time the girls are in bed, I have all the alerts on my phone shut off. I try, nice. I'm not perfect at it by any means, but I try to like not pick up and look at anything. Cause I mean, we all have the habit yeah. of picking it up. Oh, let me open this app and just scroll for a second. And right. it's, it's dangerous. So I agree, man. I'm I, not. It's not that I'm not watching your content because I do see it, but I don't try to watch a lot of anyone's. Like, well, I'm very offended, but it's okay. As I'll, you should be. I'll, yeah. I'll live. No, I totally get that. I, I'm at a point now where I'm realizing I need to be better at budgeting my time on my phone because mm-hmm. it is like I'm trying to do it like as a business but and reach customers, but it, it does suck you in mm-hmm. and you do lose a day. So I'm getting to that point too, so I totally get it. So back to that, the video, I tried, I mean, I just experiment with trying to get the hook, you know, and I don't mm-hmm. know why it did so well. It went really well on Instagram and on TikTok. And like you said, the first two seconds, I try every video to grab you in that time. And I usually just try to use like a text that has something on it, um, whether it be a question or a statement or whatever. And um, for whatever reason, a lot of people kept watching the video Although if you look at the analytics of it, it was it was like a 50 second video, but like only like 24% of the viewers watched it the whole way through. And I think the average drop off time was like 25 seconds or something. So it, it is interesting to see that. But on TikTok it only, or Instagram, 25 seconds is a lifetime. Like that's, oh yeah, that's a for good sure. Retention. Yeah. And I try, I'm really trying to get away from shorter videos. I know that that's kind of what they say the algorithm likes, but I don't, I just don't, that's not really my style. (laughs) And I'm trying to be very, you know, uh, faithful to what my identity is. And my identity is not making seven second videos. Sometimes it is if it's funny or whatever, but I try really hard to just make longer videos if I have the content. So not to, not to jump in on that, but your identity One thing I would say is with social media, I think it's really hard to have an identity from a content standpoint. Because I like mm-hmm. in your first three episodes, you guys had you especially had mentioned talking about your branding, trying to establish like this is what I'm all about. This is who I am as a as a maker, as a woodworker, and that's important. But from the content mm-hmm. side, I especially TikTok, 
like you'll post one thing one week and it'll do well and if you try the same yeah. thing in an, a month later people don't want that anymore so i think right yeah i think from the content side of stuff not the marketing side but the content side i think it's a lot more about kind of chasing that trend unfortunately and that's it's hard to do and it's especially hard to do if you're not on there spending the time doing the you know analytical research of trying to figure out what is popular right now mm-hmm. yeah i still haven't cracked it i mean i Instagram, it it did okay, but TikTok, nothing. I just broke three thousand on Facebook today or yesterday. I think Mm. finally. Nice. I I just there's just nothing there for me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 every different format or platform is just different. It's a different beast. Mm -hmm. Like you'll you'll post something on Instagram, it'll do really well, and you post it on TikTok, and you nothing, and vice versa. Mm Hmm. And sometimes you get lucky and you do well on both. But even the levels are not the same either. It's like I got really lucky with one video that did well on both platforms. Probably will never happen again. <laughs> my, total... my best my best reel to date was I posted, I think it was 11, 10 seconds, something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I put a piece of plywood in a Craig pocket hole jig, drilled two pocket holes, and pulled the board out. 11 million <laughs> views. Wow. Holy cow. <laughs> wow. It, yeah. So I like I have and it's almost shameful cuz I have I've probably posted different versions of doing the same thing like 10 times just yeah. to get the exposure and get the plays and stuff. And it's like I I, I don't <laughs> even use pocket holes anymore. I hardly touch that jig other than when I was doing some cabinetry recently, but I'll pull it out to make a reel once in a while just cuz I know people yeah. are going to watch it. Thanks for that so, honesty, Drew. <laughs> people <laughs> love pocket holes. I don't know why they I do. hate pocket holes. I hate them. Well, the funniest thing, the first it was like the second or third one of those that I posted that really blew up. But the very first one, it like did okay for my very small account at the time. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I started getting a ton of comments in Spanish asking where to get that tool or various (laughs) other languages from around the world. I get that on TikTok. Yeah. So it's like it had this second wave when it like hit other parts of the world and just blew up from there. And everyone was amazed by this tool. To the point where I was honestly considering trying to figure out how to be a Craig dealer to ship internationally. <laughs> oh, yeah. So like, there's so many people asking me where to get this thing. It's cool how, yeah. how wide of a reach our posts can get, and we have no idea. It's, oh, yeah. It's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. It is. So uh, kind of wrapping up here, we only have a few minutes left. We, I wanted to ask you a couple questions, one for sure. And uh, this is our new little question that we're asking every mm-hmm. podcast now to our interviewee, interviewees. What is your wouldn't it be nice? So my wouldn't it be nice, and this is kind of derived from um, I started reading Mortis and Tenon magazine and kind of getting in this mindset of traditional craftsmanship, if you can call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at, you know, moving into a smaller house down the road. We're looking at moving out further into the country, basically homesteading at some point. Um and that's kind of off topic, but what I'm getting at is my wouldn't it be nice is happiness. I want to get to a mm. point where I'm making things and I'm able to enjoy everything I'm doing and that be profitable enough not yeah. to make me wealthy, not to make me at a point where I have every you know tangible item that I could ever want in life, but to get me to the point where we're sustainable through multiple revenue streams, you know, through hopefully making good furniture that people respect and see the quality in, um, you know, YouTube, other social medias, hopefully those have some sort of revenue coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and be able to make it a full-time thing and, and support the family doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I have, I have six years left of service for the Navy. And after that, I, I kind of hope to not have to do anything related to what I'm doing now and be able to turn to this full-time and enjoy doing it. Not have to, you know, crank out the same things over and over again. Not have to get into, um, you know, doing all the craft shows because I don't enjoy sitting in a booth at a craft show all day either. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But getting to that point where this is a sustainable hobby that I I enjoy going to work every day. And I think that, um, you know, it's easy to lose sight of wanting all the fancy tools, all the best equipment, all the mm-hmm. everything you see on Instagram. I want it in my shop. But just to get to that point where I can just walk out to the garage every day, make something beautiful, make someone happy with that thing, and be happy myself, I think that would be my wouldn't it be nice. I love that answer. That's so good. Did I go a little too deep on that? I love that. No, dude, I I, go deeper, please. Keep going. (laughs) Preach. Preach. You could write a book about that, man. I I love that. That's that's kind of what I kind of hope for my future too. Honestly, Mm -hmm. like happiness. And woodworking, yeah. <laughs> and family. all that really matters in the end. Yeah, I want to be rich. So, well, you picked the wrong kidding. field, buddy. <laughs> you picked the wrong field. Yeah. <laughs> Remember what you said a couple episodes ago about how you how you yeah. become a billionaire or a millionaire? You, yeah, you, you start, start as, as a billionaire. Start as a billionaire. Yep. As a woodworker. <laughs> Do you have a dad joke today, Travis? I don't have a dad joke. I was super I've got unprepared. One. I've got one. Let it fly. What do old people smell like? Old Spice. Depends. <laughs> you get it? <laughs> Travis just shaking his head. <laughs> that was terrible. That's, that's my all-time favorite joke. <laughs> I didn't get that right, and you even told me that one the other day. I did, yeah. Yeah. And you didn't get it then? No. Really? I you, didn't get it now. Do You don't get it? There's, no, I understand it. Do you understand But I didn't answer it correctly. Oh, because you literally the other day you said Old Spice, too. Which, you know, makes sense, but that's that's a good answer. It's just not funny. Well. Depends is funny. You forget things. <laughs> Life's exciting twice as much. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, anything, um, do you have any other little nuggets of wisdom you'd like to leave our listener, Drew? Yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier when we were talking about uh, getting into hand-cutting joinery and using hand tools and stuff like that. Um you know, you can see people doing, uh, even what Dusty Lumber Company is doing since we were just talking about him. You see these people doing these things that are really impressive with wood and either complex or even very simple tools. And they seem like they have years and years of experience and it'll take me forever to get to that. Just go try it. It's not hard to just go try it. And if you mess up on a scrap of wood, go burn it, make a s'more, and go try something <laughs> different again. You know, don't be afraid to improve your skills and try something new. Um, I think it was Shannon Rogers, um, Renaissance woodworker. I think he said something along the lines of there's no such thing as a beginner woodworker project, because if you break down everything within a more complicated project to its simple operations, nothing's that complicated to do. Mm -hmm. If you can figure out how a saw works, if you can figure out how a drill works, you know, how to, how to, do the most simple things and add those together into the more complex problems, you you can tackle whatever you want to do. Mm. So don't be afraid to get out there and try. Yeah, that's my main piece of advice. Um, The other one was, like I said, if you're going to get into content, you know, make sure you're 
thinking about if you're aiming toward that content being consumed by other woodworkers or by people looking for you as a business. Yeah. Um, that's a tricky one to do. Um, and as far as on the content side of things, because I do consider myself at this stage, at least more of a content or, uh, what do they call it? Social media marketing company more so than a <laughs> like woodworking or production company, even though obviously that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it seems exhausting if your goal is to have a large social media presence to keep posting, uh, like you said, on a regular schedule, being disciplined about making sure you're getting something out every day, having enough, you know, in a folder on your phone that if you don't get out to the shop one day, you still have something you can throw up there. It's mm. it's mentally draining and challenging to to do that, but it's the consistency that pays off. So if you're not seeing you know, tens of thousands of followers after a couple of months, that's fine. That's most people don't. Um, mm -hmm. I think I was on Instagram, you know, that's still my main platform. Um, I think it was like a year and a half of me posting kind of regularly before I saw any kind of growth at all. So it's, and then you just kind of blew up. Mm. Yeah. The algorithm's finicky, but if you stay consistent, yeah. I think you said before, the only thing you can control is how often and the quality of your, what you, your right. perception of the quality of your content. Yeah. Eventually enough people will agree that they'll all start viewing it and sharing it and you will, you know, grow. So that I, I gave my woodworking advice to get out there and do something, but from the social media side, you know, just stick with it. Keep pushing. I'm For still sure. trying to get there on TikTok and YouTube and I'm just gonna keep putting stuff up there. Yeah, so you can find me on uh Instagram, TikTok, Facebook and YouTube. They're all at Fernwood Farms Woodworking. Um, I'm on Instagram more than anywhere else, but YouTube's kind of my focus for what I'm trying to grow this year. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you want to find me somewhere, find me on YouTube and Instagram. Those are my main two. Is that Fernwood with a U or an E? Fernwood with a U or an E? Uh, F-U-E-W-X. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for having me, guys. It's kind Thank of an you. honor to be your first guest. And, you know, I... I know we are going to do the recording before today. I am kind of glad we had to push it because getting the chance to listen to three episodes before I was, yeah. you know, in the hot seat really, really helped out. And uh, like I said before, I think uh, I think this podcast has legs. I think you guys have a great idea here. And I wish you all the best with it. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. We're, we're really when excited. when you hit 100 and... episodes, you need to give me a call so I can be, you know. Heck yeah. Uh, you're making a thing. We'll, <laughs> we'll have you be our first guest and our 100th guest. How about that? There you go. I love it. And then it. we'll have a montage of all of our guests at the same time. At the, and we're going to have every single guest we've ever had on the same episode. And we're not even oh, going to talk. You guys perfect. just talk to each other. That actually sounds like a lot of fun. I don't even that know. That does if, sound fun. I don't think any platform allows that. I don't th does Zoom even allow 100 people? Oh, yeah. I hope Did not. Does Zoom let? That would be incredible. <laughs> Drew, thanks a ton. Um, not only for coming on today, but... You know the immediate support with this podcast and yeah. and all of the the awesome feedback that you had. Um, you know we are going to take note of that and we're going to run with it. Mm -hmm. You know we're we're excited to see where this thing goes, but you know it's kind of speaking for both of us, I think we'd love to have you back too. Yeah, it'd be awesome to have awesome. you back with us yeah. anytime.
The Wouldn't It Be Nice theme song was performed and written by Luke Snyder. 